Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Well, welcome to a new episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. with Glenn Sutherland. This week, my guest is Jordan Sylvester. Uh, Jordan, you want to give everyone a bit of a background, a little bit who you are and maybe a little story and then how, like how you got to where you're going and then we'll, uh, we'll get into this. Sounds good. I'm uh, Jordan Sylvester. I'm a realtor in Windsor, Ontario. I work for Keller Williams Lifestyles Realty. I've been doing this business for about 16 years. My father was in it since 1988. So got to rewind the clock a little bit to get back to that time frame. <laughs> uh, looking forward, uh, I jumped into the business when I was 23 years old. So approaching 40 at the moment, uh, learned a lot through those years. Uh, myself as an investor, that's been more recent. I, I spent a lot of the early part of my business helping people invest. Uh, the repossessions in 08 and all the things that came down there, learning the trade then and then becoming an investor myself. So uh, lots of life lessons, lots of them learn the hard way, uh, learning to listen to the uh, advisors around you instead of taking your own advice from the mirror. <laughs> so. <coughs> oh, sorry. Excuse me. That's um, okay. No. So Jordan, um, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into this. So um, I know you're a realtor. Um, I believe you do some investing as well. What kind of... Uh, what kind of stuff are you looking at? I know we were just chit-chatting beforehand. You talked about doing extra units, some vacation homes. What what what's uh what works in 2024? Yeah, so in 2024, I find that you can't just buy the single family property without an additional opportunity for wealth creation. So whether that is going to be the Airbnb or vacation style rental within it, so you can get that extra income because again, it's it's a little bit more turnover, but you get that premium on that, or you have to have the unit where you can add that uh, auxiliary dwelling unit, either exterior or basement. Of course, if you have the right height in the basement makes life simple, you're able to then, you know, inclusive a lot of the time, the property, which isn't everyone's favorite thing to do. Uh, there are some strategies I use around that, which you set a limit on it with the tenant. So it is inclusive up until a point and then the tenant split it. Um, but yeah, doing the conversion where you buy the property, main floor unit, you know, two bed, three bed, and then you can convert the basement into at least another two bedroom unit. And that way you can maximize potential in the current market while interest rates are high. And then you'll super cash flow, hopefully, when they bring rates back down. to It doesn't need to be 2% again. We can go with a 4% interest rate yeah. and all of a sudden your cash flow is going to jump by five, 600 bucks a month. But right now, even when you do a lot of these conversions, you'll be only about 200 to $300 in cash flow versus before where you would do these conversions. And you could bump up to almost $1,000 a month in cash flow, which, of course, makes everybody happier when there's more money for the uh, the ability to pay down the mortgage or you know have a have a, a few more times out golfing that month or whatever it is that uh, you're interested in yeah so um if you're like doing vacation homes and you're doing an extra unit would would it ever make sense to do them both in the same building so I had a friend uh, actually, so it wasn't me personally, but he bought a property with a basement unit where basically his theory was to have the maid or the person who would take care of the upper unit live there. And so they would pay them extra money. They would be able to stay on on the property. So they would pay, I think I think he had it around $1,200 a month for the basement unit, which would normally be, call it 1800 inclusive. So yes. $600. And then they would turn over the property upstairs whenever the tenants would move in and out from the vacation. And it was designed to be weekly. So she'd go up once a week clean up towels. She could do all the laundry, do all the stuff within the property and, and house it there. That worked well for about a year and a half till of course the lady found a husband and then everything changed. And so again, in investing, there are some really cool ideas and they work really well for the time, but people's lives change. And, and again, finding that exact same person to the exact same thing. It was 
it was a really good idea. And I think if you can manage it, but it's probably from that experience. And we chatted, he still put a, a regular tenant in the basement at 1800. And then he just paid a service fee moving forward to do the upper level of that property, because that property on the upper level had the waterfront views and had some really cool experiences. Right. Whereas the basement was a little more like dungeony, like it wasn't it, bad, it was like you're still on the water, it's beautiful, yeah. but, and you had decent window, but it wasn't the same, of course, as the main floor where he could pump out. I think he was renting the main floor weekly at like, uh, $2,600 a week, like something insane. Um, you know, pr price on the property was, I think, uh, 980,000 Canadian. So it wasn't a cheap property, but when you have 1800 coming from the basement and you're getting another almost 10 K a month, give or take. And again, he only, I think, I think he ran at 73 or 76% occupancy. Cause of course up here we get winter. Unlike some of the Americans down South where you can keep your vacation rental usually full, except maybe in hurricane season in Florida, they're on the coast. Yeah. <laughs> With having someone in the basement, I always wonder, like, especially if they're like supposed to be like the cleaner for upstairs, like they're going to go on vacation. You're going to have to, you know, figure that out. They're going to have, you know, they're they're people with a life. And like, honestly, like I'm I always get like torn whenever I'm like, even if, uh, you know, say you have a fourplex and you have a, a tenant that wants to just cut the grass for all of it. What what happens if they're not around to cut the grass? Like what? Like, you know, it's, a lot of times you're like, yeah, it's cheaper. It's more efficient to have them there. But. Sometimes I'm like, I just want a, a third party company that's larger, even if it costs me more, because I know it'll get done. Right. And so you don't end up in a situation where you, you yourself, if well, especially if you're, if you're not local, right? Local yeah. allows you the flexibility to step in, in that moment. But if you're not local and you don't, and, and the person for any reason doesn't tell you, you could have a big mess on your hands. Um, and again, that's, I think the lesson learned was why he went after that situation and went to that. We are doing um, currently in the city of Windsor, we've got the battery plant being built. So we've got a lot of short temporary workers coming in. So with all of that, like you, we basically have hired um, like Molly made type service to come in. It's one of the ladies that we yeah. know, but she runs a cleaning business local. Yeah. And so she does the turnover service. So we, we know when the bookings ending, she knows when to be in and it's, and if she can't do it, she's got seven or eight other ladies who can, and that magically makes everything much simpler. So if somebody goes down sick, right, let's say this lady, like don't even, she goes sick or something happens. It's not even their fault. They get in a car, act. like so many things can happen in life when you're using a single person to cover a large amount of things than when you have a company or a business doing it. Because if somebody does go down, somebody's a watching to see if it gets done because they have a staff or, or, or a thing and yep. B if that person needs to be replaced, they usually can find at least somebody else or even subcon so like subcontracted out just to make sure it gets done for their client. Right. Cause if you're in a business like I am, sometimes I can't get everything done and I've got other realtors or people who come along and support me in my business because I, I definitely don't want to make, I want my clients to be serviced correctly at all times and not feel like they're being just because I'm unavailable, they're being left in the lurch. So. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about that project. If you were going to do something like that, would you, um, you know, I'm just thinking financing wise, like, it's it's a lot of money, right? Like at least I'm used to American, <laughs> so it's yeah. I'm usually buying much cheaper homes than that. Um, but it's it's a lot of money you're financing, and then uh, you're doing a renovation on on all of that, um, and then you're turning it into a vacation rental, which I found in the U.S. is always a little bit more difficult to finance, um, or even higher interest rates in order to be able to do that. Um, it just it it's like one thing onto another with the carrying costs. Like it does it still make sense to do this with the the current rates? What I find actually most interesting about the current rates is you you're banking on maybe a two percent increase on the current rate, whereas before it felt like you you were still in that six seven percent window on a lot of the private money that you were going to use to do this, and now it's maybe eight or nine. But but prime like you want to go get to the bank, it's six six two four. 
So again, I think if you're going to run it for the first year, you can run it on the the extra 2%, 3% that you might end up paying. And then after that, the banks, once you have income rolling, one of the biggest things I've learned is um, you have credit unions, they're, they're still going to give you like closest to, to prime rates, like so that if you were to go to an A lender, um, and the way that you describe the way the money comes in also matters. So it depends on your own, wherever you want to call it, moral compass and how you describe information coming in as, as a company to the bank and how they're going to finance property um, and disclosure with the bank about those things. That's really up to you. And I, I can't advise yeah, you, yeah. again, as a licensed realtor, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not going to advise you to do anything that would put you in a situation with a, with a, with a bank. But a lot of banks do understand now and they're starting to understand um, the difference that you can find, especially in short-term rentals and the income from them. Again, they don't like it when it's like, oh, look, I've been making this money for three months. No one cares. Make it for three years. Banks tend to be like, okay, seems more real. It's like a business. You want to run a business and you want to borrow money with your business. You have to have two years on the books there. I find with the right mortgage brokers, with the right people in your, in your back pocket, there are some ways, but yeah, up front, you're probably going to leave, you know, on a deal that let's say you're all in and you're leveraging almost six, $700,000. Well, there goes 21 grand a year to that. Right. So you're going to pay that extra 3%, you know, whatever it is. And you're going to end up like, Oh, okay. There goes, you know, 21,000. But if it's still profitable, and that's the game. And then you can actually turn that on or you can get the interest rates to come down is even with your private lenders. Once you prove to them that you're paying and that there's consistency, you renegotiate after the first year, maybe they'll give you a one or 2% discount because they want to keep your business because they know that you're doing well. So you get, it's all about relationships. I find with a lot of these B lenders, because um, a lot of them are relational or even private money lenders that want to just park their money in real estate versus a GCI or, or some other form of um, you know, conventional uh, location. So I have a lot of private guys that will work even at 8%, 7%, even today sometimes to do some deals, as long as they trust the property, you know, the equities there, there's enough margin, 65% loan to value most of the time. If you want the lower rates, you know, 80, 20, you know, you're going to push up. And then if you want better than that, there are guys that do it, but then you're at like 15 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and at 15 and a half, I find it very difficult for most people to uh, find cash flow in any way, shape or form for any meaningful amount of time. So. No, no, not on a $900,000 house that uh, yeah. turns into a quite a large payment. Does it still make sense to buy these as just like a single family home or do you, you probably should be using a more creative strategy like a, a vacation rental or, you know, adding an extra unit or does it still make sense to just buy a house? Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I've created a new coaching program. I believe the new coaching program has way more value than any of the programs that have even existed in the past. What we've done is pre-recorded all the lessons so that you can work through it at your own pace, which is pretty cool. And then we're going to meet up on a regular basis to answer the questions, do a deal analysis, and actually spend our time together working on things instead of spending our time learning things. I think this will make a seamless transition to buying in the United States and will help you solve a lot of your problems. If this is of interest to you, go to glensutherland.com slash coaching. I hope to help you guys invest in the United States and I hope we provide as much value as possible. Back to the podcast. Uh, like if you're looking to buy a house just to live in it or to rent, like, to rent, sorry, to rent. Yeah. So, so renting to buy homes, like I said, I, I would, I would usually look to like in Windsor specifically, like that's waterfront. So if you leave the waterfront and you go just back to more conventional, you know, we have the university college and you go to student rental level. So even still it's shorter term, but it's year over year. 
Um, then you're just going into your basic conversions. You can buy duplexes in Windsor, Essex. That might need some TLC between like 450 and 550. Yeah. Um, and then you put, you know, 70, 80 grand, add the other unit, depending on how the basement lays out. There are some benefits to that. Then you, again, if you have the three units, it cash flows, you're able to push to that level. You may not get the same cash flow you're looking at a couple of years back. But again, if you can hold, uh, one of my buddies uh, has said it, I'm sure he got it from somewhere else. His name's Glenn McQueenie. He says, you date the rate, right? So whether in Canada, we have a two-year, three-year, four-year, however long you're with the rate. But if the rate comes down, you can change your cash flow. Again, you got to take into consideration where you think it's going to go. And it's like anything. You're looking into the crystal ball in the future and hoping that rates will be at 4.5% instead of 6.5%. Um, and if you and if you're wrong and they're at 8.5%, you still want to make sure you either have an exit strategy to, of course... Get, on, get out before you can't and or that there's enough cash flow that if it does go negative for a little bit, you have the money to, to carry it through that time. So I, I actually, on all my properties carry, uh, it's sort of like what the condo buildings do. I have a reserve fund. So anything that I think might break in that property or any amount of like for three units, I'll carry about $8,000 per unit. Um, in, in that way, if it goes vacant, right. And you're talking 16 to $1,800 a month, I have a few months if it's a problem to refix right. it or if the tenant left it wrecked. I can go in, clean it, spend three or $4,000 to get the property back up to par and re-rent it. So that's really one of those other pieces when you're looking at it. But yeah, I think you can invest now. I wouldn't do waterfront personally because I, like you said, the, the prices are still really high and with interest rates as high as there, it's really hard to finance and maintain. I would always look to the lower end of the market where you can find more consistency, more people can afford it. You're not trying to find Everyone's a little, everyone I've talked to, their belts are a little tighter these days. Everyone's a little more cautious. Um, cost of living for everyone, whether you were, you know, you're in that echelon where you're making money or where you're you're just starting out, everyone's belts got tightened by inflation over the last couple of years. So I would say, you know, I, I will lean to where the most people are who can afford to buy the product that I'm offering, yep. right? Like that's the, I want to be in the price point where where everyone exists and not necessarily be in the elite side in this current market, because I think yeah, you're adding risk unduly to your own, 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 like there's no profitability I see above than just doing two of these. If you can buy two at 500 instead of one at a million, why wouldn't you? Cause you're going to be in a better financial position. You may only have to liquidate one and you still have an asset. So if you get into a bad spot. And I saw a lot of, um, saw some articles. I don't remember where I was looking at them and like for the, the cottages and those sort of things. Cause you just, you triggered my memory talking about the, uh, waterfront stuff um that they're way down right now like is that like a an opportunity do we think that's going to go back up is or i guess it just has to the deal has to make sense i don't know like tell me what, where do you think <laughs> you're at on this if someone wanted to buy their cottage or their you know turn it into a vacation rental when they're not using it is 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 this the time is this the lowest um or do you wait until spring when like you know well americans are planning on uh, an interest rate uh, decline right the fed's talking about that um Canada has, at least as far as I know, I haven't seen anything from Canada saying that they're planning to do the same, but usually it's fairly similar. Um, is it better to wait for the interest rate to drop? I'm just wondering what you, how, what your take on that kind of crystal ball is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with the crystal ball I have, I would recommend you buy now. And if you're going to do it. So if you're like, I want to get into a vacation home, I have, I have enough money. I'm going to be able to protect myself. If the vacation home were to drop by another hundred grand, I'm not going to sell it anyway. So if your bet is that the market is going to increase, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to flip it in a year. I don't think that's the best play to make only because we all know that there's a US election coming. We all know that a year after that, there's a Canadian election coming. There's a lot of policies and things that might change that really do boost the market because everyone knows that when they you got to be reelected, you want to make everybody happy for a minute. And then 
everything comes back to reality. But right now, if you're looking at again, Muskoka, if you're, if you're going to be in this area, like a lot, like you mentioned, that area was booming, booming, and then it's calmed down. Uh, again, I think if you have the right um, cash flow strategy, and I don't mind if it's a little negative even on those types of properties, because I do think over time you'll always win, right? If you're going to, if you have a five year uh, window on most property today, I think my crystal ball is a little clearer. I think five years down the road, because if you look at real estate over a five year window, it's almost never worth less than it was in that window. So if you go back to 2007, 2006, and you go to 2011, 2012, magically, the price of that same asset is higher. Now, there was a moment in the middle where it went down. So if you're buying and you don't have an exit strategy or something major could change in your life that causes this to be a burden, yeah. I would say, take that as your own risk as an investor. Again, if you create a great reserve fund so that if you had to hold it for a year vacant, you could. Like There's some extra steps I might take in vacation rentals just because if something does happen, um, to the equity market and you're struggling to rent it out or you don't want to rent it out because it's, you know, could get damaged or whatever could happen there. Yeah. Um, I think you just have to have a lot of strategies in place, but yeah, right now in the market in, in Canada, it's probably going to be the cheapest likely we're going to see forever. Like, I don't know. Like, and I mean that honestly, like I, I, everybody asked, well, if you could go back in time to 2008, when the last crash happened, when I was just entering the business, didn't know, you know, I was a kid, 23 what would you do now? I said, I'd buy everything. I would literally buy every single property. I would leverage all of the money and buy it all because of what I know today. I said, yeah. 10 years later, those properties that were $80,000 were now $350,000 and got all the way up to $520,000, right? 80 grand to 520. That was the separation of value. That's insanity. And yeah. so when I look back, so again, as an investor myself, I'm being cautious today and recognizing that this might be this very moment where we're sitting at the lowest. Now, does that mean it can't get worse? Does that mean governments can't spend more money and make things worse on us? No, it could. I'm just saying it's unlikely because if you look at cyclical history and you look at the reality of you know what happens before usually repeats itself, I think we're in a market where we're going to see the increases. I think we're going to be in a position where you're going to regret not putting up the money in the next three months versus waiting to the spring market, like your question, sorry, yeah. started with. But the spring market, the issue is going to be is all of the buyers come out. A lot of people start to look at their options. The, the average price goes up as a, it's an it's an inflation of the average market, usually through May, uh, April, May, June, and then we see it dip back down through summer, and then we see it level back off towards the end of the year in the in the September, October, November markets, right? And so I would be cautious if you're waiting and you're like, oh, well, I'll just wait to see what happens with the interest rate. Buy a property today, have it close in May adjust the rate down hopefully by then. And if it doesn't, just make sure it still works as it currently would. And if, and you lock in your rate now, so the only benefit you have is it can't, like you can do that uh, for I think 60 to 90 days, yep. depending on the banking institution. And if it goes down, you can, they'll give you the better rate. So why not take that opportunity when you know rates might be dropping? And there's, everyone says, like you said, US is going to drop the Fed. We as a group believe that we're going to, like, there, I've seen articles saying up to 2.25% reduction, which means we'll go from yes. seven and a quarter back down to five, which means you'll be on the variable somewhere around four to four and a half. And then the fixed rate follows the bond market, which is already starting to come down. We're already seeing that one back into the mid fives out of the six, four, nine, six, two, four. So there's a lot of benefits, I think, right now to, to locking up the property, maybe with a little further out. Um, plan as long as your plan is then to, of course, make sure it's cash flow positive as the numbers stand today and that you can't lose the rate <laughs> and bet on the rate not going up. Because again, I would be very cautious on trusting the current economics of our world to be um, 100% uh, authentic. And what they say they're going to do is 
the Bank of Canada said in 2022, hey, we're going to raise the interest rate to three and a half percent. And they went to, uh, you know, seven. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I think when you double your prediction and I know the rate was at two and a half, but like to double the prediction instead of raising it a quarter, like basically they're going to raise it a quarter every quarter. <laughs> By the end of the year, they'd more than doubled the interest rate and uh, and really put a lot of people, including myself and, and businesses in a bad spot because almost all business loans, not just in real estate, are all held on prime plus or prime minus, right? And so I just find it interesting. I think there's going to be hopefully a lot of opportunity for investors coming up. I think there's a great, there's, they always say the best time to sell is never the best time to buy was yesterday. Right. And so (laughs) this, I I can say that that there was a time for a minute where maybe that wasn't the most true statement at the end of March of 2022, but pretty much ever since then, I think you're going to be in a spot where um, the market's going to be favorable as long as you're in the hold position. I think if you're in the flip position, caution, uh, hold position, you know, you're going to hold it five to 10 years. Yeah. No, I don't see any issues and just make sure it's uh cash flow and protected. Well, me, me personally, I always am looking to uh, either buy it cheap, right? Buy it at a discount. Uh, and I'm, I'm typically I'm looking to buy it at a discount and renovate it. Right. And winter is the perfect, like for me personally, I love to buy in the winter. So I hit the spring market. Right. Yeah. So if, if you depend, like this is sort of like a, you know, you, you take this with a grain of salt. I'm not giving any financial advice, but <laughs> um, if you were like looking, you think the interest rates are going to drop, then if you bought now, rented it on like a hard money loan, a short-term loan, a private loan, something like that, the, the perfect time to refi will be once the, the rates drop in, you know, three, six, nine months or whatever, right? And you have your reno done, you'll be hitting the market, right, to find your tenants or your, you know, if you're doing this in Canada, you could hit your, you know, short-term rental, um, vacation rental um, people to, to time it out, right? But honestly, the best time to reno is in the winter because that's the low time, even for rentals to, you know, if you're, if you're even for me, I do a lot of stuff in cold states. That's the best time or the hardest time to find tenants to move. They don't want to move between Thanksgiving and New Year's at all. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. They don't want to buy houses in that time. Um, so if people aren't buying houses, the 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 inventory is giving you a discount because it, it is what's sitting there. Um, it might be the opportunity to pick it up cheaper and get your renovation done and then hit the timelines correctly. This was not financial advice because you know, I have no <laughs> idea if that much, but if the <clears throat> for sure if the interest rates are going to go in because I'm honestly completely confused. Um, the Fed not that's not to make this too much of back to the Americans, but but yeah, no, Fed, no normally they don't they hold their cards tight and they don't tell people what they're gonna they're, they're gonna do rate drops. They told us that they're gonna do three rate drops, <laughs> and you're like, you, with all of this, you got to go. Why? Why would they tell us? Because they didn't tell us when they were going to raise it. They don't tell us ever. So it's it's like they're prepping everyone to be prepared to 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 start going or something. It's you know this is your own interpretation of this, but it, that's the weird part is that they don't usually tell us. So they're telling us, and they don't do things for no reason. They're telling us for a reason. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know get your cards ready, get ready to go. I, I don't know if that's what they're telling us, but yeah. Uh- well, the so so we'll put the tinfoil hat on for a minute, and, <laughs> okay, right. and 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 what I what I mean by this is is again. So I, I like to allow my brain the opportunity to think about things from a very um, external perspective, meaning that there's something greater at work than what we can see, right? Um, in the shadows, or however you want to describe it. So 
you asked a very good question. Why now? Why for the first time in history, after a driving rates up like insanity and not giving any warning, now they're giving warning about the rates coming down, but they haven't done it yet. So they haven't actually done it. They're just saying they're going to. And one of the things that we've seen is fear. Fear is something that really drives the public. The public responds to the media. The public responds to what the professionals say. So when I, as a realtor, as a professional, if I go to your home and I give you advice, you're going to likely listen to that advice. And if as long as it's mimicking something that you've heard somewhere else, if it's just, you know, like high in the sky, but the world is becoming very tinfoil hatty. Like we are starting to wonder, okay, are we just puppets in this game? And are you really just pulling our strings? And are we just, you know, and so, and so I don't like to put the hat on all that often because I do think that there's a lot of uh, really good people in government, really good people doing a lot, trying to do really good work. I just also think there are some things out there and then you want to, before you respond to that information, you might want to verify and clarify that it's actually going to happen. Because like you said, if everyone just starts buying because they've removed the fear, oh, we're going to lower interest rates. It's a great time to buy. Removing fear, well, then people start to act upon that because they're listening to these entities saying, hey, we're going to be nice to you now. We're going to be friendly to your, your bank accounts again. And you're like, okay, awesome. Now we can go back and start to make money like we were for the last five to seven years. But what if, what if, they, what if they do it once? And then they go back up, right? Like people don't understand just because the entity says this is their plan does not mean they're going to follow through. So I would caution anyone in the audience, Canada or the US, this is why it has to work today. I will tell you, I would be, if I'm going to play the game of of margins, I think the rates are going to drop. I do believe the market is going to rise. I think in Windsor-Essex, we're going to go from an average of about 515 to probably somewhere around 615, maybe even up as high as 650 this calendar year. But that also, just so we're clear, could have the inverse effect. We could go down another twenty to fifty thousand dollars. I don't think you know. The the I always tell people there is a margin where like fallout does seem to stop. Like there's just no way to get below. Just the cost of everything has has kind of held it there. Cost of material, cost of life, cost of things. Um, but yeah, when you're putting the tinfoil hat on and you're saying, "Why are you telling us now?" My brain goes, "I think they're up to something, and they've got to have a reason beyond just." Hey guys, we want to give you this nice little heads up. It's like, what are you really doing? And what, sh- where should I be looking? So you say this to me and you're trying to get my focus here. How do I take my focus and look at where I'm supposed to in light of this information and not just agree and go, okay, well, that's great. I'm going to buy up the properties. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to put seven properties, six properties under contract. I'll move them forward. And then don't worry about the interest rate being so secure today. Cause it's going to be lower tomorrow. Man, I would. Uh... It could be in trouble, right? Because uh, think, think about it. The um, if inflation, they get their numbers back for inflation. They're like, oh, they actually went up, and we can't do it, or yeah. they went so bad that we just need to raise again. And it, it's it's going to be their reaction, and they are not held responsible for any of the promises that they, they <laughs> are not even promises, any quotes that they've said. <laughs> Well, and that's unfair. See, I, I think that if the go- the Bank of Canada or the Fed comes out and they say, so here's the thing. I think if you're going to make policy, there's nothing wrong with a six-month policy. And to walk it out as a six-month policy and outside of, call it catastrophic, the US goes to war, Canada goes to war, something comes to the, like something happens on a level that is beyond the, the foreseeable. But if you're looking at the true economy and you want to give us a heads up and say, for the next six months, we're going to operate this way. We're going to reevaluate then instead of what they've been doing, which is usually, you know, every month and a half to two months, they're coming out and telling us more info. Fine. That's okay. But if you're not going to change the way you actually function in the process, then you can't change the way you communicate in the process because otherwise, how can we, you want us to trust you. I'm sorry. 
I'm not going to. I'm going to make the best decisions with the information today. I'm not going to trust a government entity or any real entity that's going to say, don't worry, it's okay. And that's just because, you know what I've learned in life? The only person I can control is me. I have no control over anybody else. So if I want to make the best decisions for me and my family today, I need to use the information that's provided today and make sure that I I, I verify and clarify with professionals in my life what my risks are, my risks are, and not try to bet on the future. It doesn't mean I'm not going to play in the game. doesn't mean I'm not going to set myself up with, like I said, get that locked in right now. And if it goes down, make sure the bank's going to let you take the best rate at the time. And if the best rate's still your rate, then great. And then everything works out exactly as it does. And if it doesn't work on that rate, please, please, please. And you're not willing to take on the risk, don't make the deal. Just say, no, it's good. I'll move on to the next one. There's one of the other things is there's going to be more deals. There's going to be lots of opportunity in life. Don't get so caught up in the current one that you miss out on the one you were supposed to grab because you're too busy focused on this. There's lots of opportunity in life. Real estate's one of those really cool spots, but there's all kinds of other things coming. AI is out there now. Like, what does that have to do with what's upcoming next and how the world responds to it? Like, so I just, one of the things for investors, whether it's real estate, whether it's life, uh, make sure you know what you're doing. Talk to smarter people than yourself and put the tinfoil hat on sometimes and really just ask yourself some of those really tough questions that we want to avoid because we just want everything to be nice and breezy and easy. But when we don't do the tough questions, then we put ourselves in tough spots later, right? We we ask the tough questions up front when you buy. Magically, there's not as many tough questions when you're trying to sell. <laughs> no, that's a really good point, right? Um, awesome. Uh, that's that. Even for me, that gets me the the wheels turning, right? Because what you all all you want to do is look at an article, summarize it into like two sentences, and just take the, that at a grain of salt. Um, anyway, yeah, Jordan. Thanks for coming on the show. That was great. Um, people wanted to to track you down. Uh, where do they find you? So you can reach out to me at jordansylvester.com. Uh, you can also reach out direct at 519-960-0350. That'll reach my team. And then if you have any questions regarding investing in Windsor, or if you need any support across the border in Michigan, I got some really good guys I know over there that do investing. And I've got realtors throughout Canada. So if you do need any advice, I got professionals in locations that are local to the market. If you just want to chat about investment strategies or ideas you've got, I always like to pick the brains of other human beings, reach out across those platforms. would be more than happy to have some discussions with your audience and or you know other people looking to start investing. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciated your insight. This is great. Hey, thanks so much for having me, my friend. That was a nice video. Bye.